the one thing I learned the most uh, in this whole process is if I want to be seen non-judgmentally and if I want to be heard and respected and loved for who I am, um, the only way I'll get that is if I give that to others. No matter what, even if you are someone who I vehemently disagree on on most issues, um, to, to hear where they're coming from, to understand their path, um, and, and to, to listen. It's a skill that you need to hone and practice uh, and I, we don't do enough of it. And I, I think that's something that I, I'm, I'm just beginning to, to really understand. Writer-director Alex Liu's work explores taboo topics like sex and drugs in order to broaden our understanding of science, morality, and how to negotiate a meaningful life. He's developed two award-winning YouTube channels focused on sex and drug education, totaling over 5 million views. After studying molecular toxicology at UC Berkeley and science, health, and environmental reporting at New York University, he produced video, radio, and print content for Nova Science Now, CNN Health, and San Francisco NPR station KQED. Uh, so we are talking today about Alex's new documentary, Sexplanation. Um Alex, I, I watched it. Thank you for sending it to me. But in your own words, thanks for watching you, it. Yeah, totally. I'm super glad I did. Um, would you mind just telling us about it? Yeah. So, so my my the log line for the film would be, uh, you know, in an attempt to try to dismantle the shame I've learned in the first 36 years of my life when it comes to sex. I'm finally going to try to get a good sex education by traveling U.S. and Canada, talking to the premier sex researchers, thinkers, educators, uh, no matter how awkward it gets, and, and try to, to live a life that's more authentic and, and more sexually honest. So it came out in 2020? Right. Uh, it came out in March, actually. The world premiere okay. was Mar March 2021. Yeah, at the Cinequest Film Festival. Yeah, and we've been on the film festival circuit for the whole year, and when we're just finishing it up. Yeah. Nice. So tell tell folks some of the the awards or the about <laughs> how it was received. Yeah, I mean, I think as a first time filmmaker, uh, and after making, you know, this is uh, this has been a seven year journey to make this film from the first dollar raise to the first, you know, um, audience screening, and you go through so much self doubt and imposter syndrome, and you by by the time it screens, you've seen the film two hundred times, and you hate every frame, and you see every mistake, and you are just so insecure about whether or not the narrative you're telling will resonate, if it will connect, because it is also a very deeply personal story, which it didn't start out being, but it ended up kind of having to be that way. And yeah, it's been uh, received in a way that just um, it, it's hard to process, uh, but, but just been so rewarding in terms of how audiences have of, of all different types, you know, I identify as queer, but you know, old straight couples who have been together 50 years have told me about how uh, after watching the film, they've now had conversations about their childhood, about their sex lives, about their desires mm -hmm. that they've never had before, which has been um, exactly what we wanted to do. You know, we wanted to get people starting conversation and the fact that it's resonating beyond my little kind of, you know, identifier community bubbles has uh, mm -hmm. been great. And so, yeah, we've won um, audience awards, a bunch of, um, you know, uh, first film director awards uh, across across the country. So uh, and, in, and one in Canada, actually, from queer film festivals, Asian film festivals and just general kind of uh, city film festivals. So it's been uh, 
Uh, I did not expect it to to get this far. Um, and the fact that we're even talking right now kind of still blows my mind. Yeah. So some of the themes throughout it, talking to the audience now that, I mean, Alex mentioned how, um, you know, not being able to, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Like you wrote somewhere, you answered a question that um, your parents were always comfortable with like gay folks. And yet there was something about your sexuality that caused you to become suicidal. Um, yeah. Not yeah. to start off super heavy, but I was like, this is one of the themes, like, cause we're going to talk a lot about shame. Yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, a line in the movie that, that really resonated strongly with me is, is silence is often speaks louder than words. Right. So I, I think for many progressive lefty liberal, you know, non-religious conservative families who, who honestly don't have an issue with homosexuality, queerness, all that stuff. Um, they still are not raised in a culture. They were not raised in a way to talk openly and often about sex. And so for myself and, and you know it's it's gone through a lot of years of therapy and, and and thinking about this but you know in my upbringing people who maybe didn't care if i were gay just were silent and then the people mm-hmm. who cared that i were gay were overly negative and and you know i i think uh, uh we might be the last generation uh, that actually felt such such strong kind of really virulent violent homosexual attitudes you know i think it was very commonplace to make jokes about violence against gay queer people and it was totally fine you could you could hear it on mainstream television and so the idea of a life of meaning which is you know i I think at its basic it's you know meaningful human connections right uh, just felt so impossible and so you know as a as a 13 year old who is not fully equipped yet to process all of the new feelings that are flooding your brain and body during puberty Suicide seems like a much easier option than having to deal with it, especially if no one is around or if you don't feel comfortable saying the word I'm gay to anyone, especially the people who you love. Um, you know, I, I, of course, you know, if I could go back in time, I would have told my parents I was gay much earlier because they had an amazing, perfect reaction to wow. to me coming out. But when you grew up in the, you know, 1900s, yeah. I say, right? <laughs> uh, uh, it was it, it's a it's phenomenal to me how in 20 years things have shifted just so much because 20 years ago, I mean, we were, you know, the, the, one of the most, uh, the biggest political battles we're having of whether or not gay people were, were worthy of marriage, which is kind of like its own weird kind of like the fact that we were fighting for this really antiquated system. But still, you know, I, I understand politically uh, uh, why, why that was our fight. But yeah, I think it's, um, I think suicide is often a, uh, common experience for many queer people, especially queer people of a certain age, uh, because you just don't see a, a life worth living uh, po- being possible. Absolutely. Uh, so the nickname of this podcast is Doggies Interrupters because they interrupt a lot, but I have to go let in my eight-month-old puppy. <laughs> okay, please do. Please do. Murphy, come here, baby. Come on. Okay. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's part of the origins of shame, Right. And shame was just a huge topic throughout. It, it it feels like a lot of things that came out of it was just that the need for a comprehensive sex education that people don't understand, like general anatomy. And there's a lot of um, hush hush around it. And one of the main things and that that hush hush leads to besides lack of consent and 
toxic ideas of what sex should be is shame. And I, my guess is that that's why it resonated for so many people is just because we, we all have grown up with shame in one way or another that we don't get rid of. Um, oh yeah. I think it's, it's so basic, right? I think it starts so young uh, before you even form memories, right? That, right. that uh, mothers, fathers, parents, that when they are say naming body parts, they skip over a whole part of your body mm. or you, it, it's so natural for, you know, even newborns to explore their body and explore what sensations feel good and what don't. And I think there is a, a, a noticeable chill in the room for many parents when some, when a baby starts playing with their genitals, because they, they didn't, no one talked to them about the fact that this was happened. They don't know what it means. And then they freak out. And it's in that freaking out, even if these are parents who, you know, really do want their children to have fully pleasurable, joyful sex lives in their uh, adult life, don't have this basic understanding or acceptance or, or, or really comfortable, uh, comfortableness, uh, comfort uh, around their body, you know, and, you know, I, I think the most clearest example of this is how most girls probably don't hear the word clitoris till till much later in life you know that 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 word is is somehow uh scary which is which is just so so tragic and and depressing to me and i think one of the things that struck me in watching it just was that i feel like it's been my belief that i think is erroneous that especially queer folks that have such a harder time coming out and finding community that by the time that we do we've healed from a lot of the shame that we felt. Um, and I mean, I run around with, you know, like folks that are um, blatantly kinky, you know, or other sex workers and stuff that have, have done a lot of shame work, but then have a lot of clients that um, that's what we do. We do shame work. Um, but it was a reminder that like, no matter how far along we get in our queer journey or, you know, our journey to becoming our authentic selves, that we still carry a lot of things that we don't talk about. I'm often asked, so are you cured now? Like, are, are you <laughs> right. cured of your shame? And my answer to that is, I think shame around sex is so strongly imprinted into who I am and my mm-hmm. identity from such a young age. You, you never lose that initial imprinting, right? The trauma, really, of of having to process this alone uh, and, and the fear and terror is just so deeply ingrained in my, my brain. It's who I am. And I think every day, slowly, 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 you get better at recognizing the shame because often it comes out in ways that don't immediately present as shame, uh, anger, you know, usually anger. <laughs> uh, um, and, and so you're getting very clear, very quickly about the thoughts you have if they're fueled by shame and then if that's actually serving you and if it's not learning how to clean up the actions and behaviors and 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 how you deal with it so so um yeah it's like a it's like a family member now who who you have to learn to live and deal with and 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 eventually learn to love because it made you who are and brought you to this place so so um yeah i think shame is something that you know shame does not survive in the light so the more we can talk about it and it's and really get deep into it, you know, like the shame about I'm talking about like the shame about your way your asshole smells, you know, the shame about all these things that we all have that we all, you know, the, the deeper you can get with it, 
um, the freer you become. And, and, and it's not to get rid of it. It's just to, to rec- acknowledge its presence with, with other people. And then it's always surprising how quickly it dissipates and how much uh, you didn't realize how much of a burden it actually was in your life until it's gone. Holy. Okay. One more second. Hey, you can't be crazy. Here. I really hope that this will get better the older she gets. It does. But she's still like, <laughs> Is this um, your first, first puppy? No, actually, I've no. got a 150 pound Alaskan Malamute outside. Okay, wow. Yeah. And he was super lonely <laughs> and driving me crazy. So I got him a dog, basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, puppy's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah, I was not ready to, because he was a puppy last summer, and I was not ready to go through it again. But, you know, <laughs> you do what you need to do for the things you love. Um, so I feel like a success story when it comes to shame. I mean, I had such intense shame about, like, I mean, I went to a conservative Christian college. Like, I was the only person I knew that masturbated. And I say the only person I knew that masturbated because, like, there was this board, um in our bathroom in the dorm where we would write like, I never statements and somebody wrote, I've never, I've never kissed. And there were like 12 other hash marks representing me too's. Like there was conversations about how blowjobs were disgusting. And these were girls that were on their way of getting married at 20, Mm -hmm. 21, you know, and it's very possible that other people were masturbating, but like, I was the only one that, that I knew that was masturbating. And was so filled with intense shame about it, you know, about the need for it. Um, that by the time I finally started having any sort of sexual encounter in my mid twenties, that I, I thought that I'd like ruined myself for marriage that I, um, took like this long break from dating and convinced myself that like, I was going to like get right with God and that God would just like land a husband in my lap for, Mm so that I wouldn't have to worry about like sexual sin anymore. And like I told you before we started recording, like, I mean, I couldn't even admit to myself that like I was attracted to uh, women. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about like trans and non-binary folks. I didn't recognize that I felt like I was one of them um, until my mid twenties. So a life depicted by by shame but then when i finally realized that i didn't believe that there should be shame and discovered the kink community and the queer community and the polyamorous polyamory community like i no longer feel any shame about sex at all i do have shame around like um i have a lot of fears about like being a good partner and like shame or fear about being too much and, you know, these other sort of intrinsic things. But like, I feel like I've overcome shame related regarding my, like my desires and need for sex and, and the sexual encounters that I've had. So I do, I do think it's possible. Um, I don't know. I I hope that's, I hope that's like a hopeful thing to know anyway. That's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I like to think of it as it's like coming out of the closet, right? Like saying I'm gay the first time you're on the verge of puking. You literally want to kill yourself before saying it. Right. Um, and then you do it, you know, 20,000 times and then all of a sudden it doesn't matter. Right. 
But every once in a while, you know, be right before you talk to someone or you're unsure, you're putting yourself in a situation, you can feel that like that little that little thing that's always going to be there. And, and maybe it's like a, a the dimmest, dimmest kind of uh, fire. But but to me, at least, and this is just my experience, um, it's always there. And, and maybe that's just who I am. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's. I now see it and I recognize it and it's not something that for, for the most part, doesn't hold me back. It's something I, I just have to acknowledge and deal with. Yeah. And okay. now I know how to, you know. And so one of the things that you talked about that we, a lot of us have shame around is just, it's not just like our, our sexual identity or orientation, but it's, it's the specific things we desire, like the things that we, the porn that we watch and, and that kind of thing, which is so common. Right? <laughs> and there's, Shame, there's a lot of moral questions around like the things that we desire because they're often taboo. Um, I'm trying to think what I want to ask about this. Like, well, okay. Yeah. So I once again think that this is a pretty common part of somebody's queer journey. Like I know that there's a lot of straight people that like a lot of taboo sex. I mean, even just, you know, hearing like what, good grief, Murphy, what, <laughs> men and women like typically like search for um, on Pornhub. Like it's a lot of, it's a lot of taboos, but to me, there's part of like, there's part of being queer. That's about breaking the rules, like breaking down norms. And then that often leads to norm breaking in our sexual desire. Um, Yeah. I I, I think once you've kind of said, fuck you to society in, in a big way, then it becomes so much easier to, set your own rules, boundaries, desires. Um, and, and in a way, now that I think about that, I, I actually kind of feel bad for straight couples who have never had to go through that process because I don't think many straight couples actually know who they are on a very deep fundamental level because they've never had to uh, transgress a societal boundary. And so, yeah, once you do it once and you come out okay and you realize people still love you and you can have a life full of meaning and uh, if you're lucky enough to live in a place where you keep your job, I-, I think then you start thinking, well, well, shit, you know, this didn't matter. So what else doesn't matter? And and that is one thing that we talked a lot about, um, my co-writer Leonardo Neri and I about this film, is to get people, all people to come out that that there is, you know, I, I don't believe there is a prototypical traditional straight person. Like, I, I think that's, that is more weird and uncommon than like a queer person, right? Like, I, I think it's the norm, I think, is really that we're all kind of atypical, queer, off the beaten path in some way. And what is actually strange and abnormal is if you actually follow some sort of like Christian ideal of what you should be sexually. So, so I think this was our attempt to kind of get people to think about, okay, yeah, how am I actually, what am I repressing? Maybe... I don't have to be because I'm predominantly attracted to an opposite gender, opposite sex. Um, I don't have to make this big public declaration, but there is probably something that I've always repressed because I was scared how it would make me seem to my partner, to my family. Um, and maybe it's something that is a source of unhealthy behavior, unhealthy uh, kind of, um, uh, or just poor mental health. Right. And so, uh, this was our my argument that that coming out in all ways uh, just leads to such a f- more fun, fulfilled, meaningful life, and 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 isn't that what we all want? So, 
in this journey for yourself about um, being open to the things that you desire, like how, how has it changed you? I mean, the fact that I, you know, can talk about, you know, my, my mom calls me a sloppy masturbator on camera, you know, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to feel much shame anymore about my most, all of my sexual behaviors from my, I talk about my porn searches. I talk about, mm. um, you know, masturbating as a children, child, all the fears, all the, I mean, I've, I've now talked to, I mean, just sitting in the interviews before audiences even seen it, you talk to mm-hmm. you know, 30 people about your deepest, darkest sexual fantasies, fears, desires, and they all basically come back with like, so what? And then you realize, yeah, so what, you know? And, and so I think, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, in a way I, I, it feels like I'm kind of brand new in many ways like that, that I, I now realize my thoughts, my patterns, my um, framing around sex in the past was uh, not helpful, not healthy, um, not who I was. And now it's like discovering who you are. So it's, it's, I often say that I feel like a, like a two or three year old spiritually now, because now I can decide for myself, what does it mean to be a healthy, moral, ethical, spiritual, sexual being? And I'm not sure really what it is yet, but it's more fun trying to play and and think about this in, in a way that feels expansive, uh, whereas in the past, it felt much more restrictive. Yeah. So you talk about play, like, are there specific ways that you've started playing or like new questions that have arised or... Mm, I mean, to be honest, you know, I've never, I've never had sex with, with a woman. That's something that now I'm like thinking about. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like sex work, like the idea of being part of that economy. Now I'm like, well, you know, maybe, you know, I, I think there's a lot of um, reasons why it, it's, it sh- shouldn't be taboo. I mean, I have a lot more empathy also, you know, I, I, I want to be very clear that, that there are some, um, sexual desire, sexual impulses, fantasies that are completely immoral, unethical, especially if you actually do uh, enact it without people's consent. Um, but I have a lot more empathy for people who have them and don't feel like they can talk about it because I think if our goal is to reduce sexual violence, um, the worst thing we can do is have these people uh, not have a safe space. And by safe space, I mean like very controlled regular therapy um but 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 not have a safe space to talk about these things um because only in the talking about it can you actually deal with it um otherwise you're 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 band-aiding over a a real big problem that 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 is um very difficult to deal with so so i i have a lot more just kind of full full acceptance of of all different types of sexual uh, desires than, than I never thought would be possible. And, and, and it's now very hard, I think, to phase me. You know, you can mm-hmm. say, you can say a lot of things and I, I, I'm there meeting you with the present, you know, I, I, the disgust reactions are pretty much gone, you know, the, uh, or if they do come up, I'm able to hold them in a way that, that is much more productive than, than, than immediately kind of reacting, which is probably my, my, my prior, you know, you know reaction. Yeah. There's, I I read a book from a a chaplain, an end of life chaplain that talked about, she defined chaplaincy in so many ways throughout the book, but one of the ways that she defined it was to sit there with somebody and not flinch and not pull away, you know? Yeah. Which is, 
how you see them and how they feel seen, right? Mm-hmm. It's just so yeah. hard for some people. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it's practice and it's work. I, I think yeah. the people off, I, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of talking and I clearly like to talk. I put myself in a movie <laughs> like, like, like I have an ego. I, I'm a narcissistic to a certain degree. But I think the one thing I learned the most uh, in this whole process is if I want to be seen non-judgmentally and if I want to be heard and respected and loved for who I am, um, the only way I'll get that is if I give that to others, no matter what, even if you are someone who I vehemently disagree on on most issues, um, to, to hear where they're coming from, to understand their path um, and, and to, to listen. It's a skill that you need to hone and practice uh, and I, we don't do enough of it. And I, I think that's something that I, I'm, I'm just beginning to, to really understand. So you're a raised Catholic and in the documentary, you talked to a priest who was pretty astonishing. Um, yeah. yeah. An outlier, an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. It, you should, you should look at my blog. I, I spoke to um, a Catholic professor about sexuality and he talks about Catholic se- sex, the Catholic sex ed that we need. It's, mm. it's pretty wonderful, but it, oh. they, they are the outliers for sure. <laughs> um Catch us up a, a little bit of, about like his view of sexuality, like what what he expressed. Yeah, so so this is Father Donald Godfrey. He he's out of University of San Francisco. He's kind of like the spiritual leader for staff and students there. Uh, he's a Jesuit, so I think that's a big kind of part of why he he is kind of an outlier and on the more progressive end or very progressive end of the church, Catholic Church. Um, and and yeah, so so I think that he being. Catholic priest during the AIDS crisis in San Francisco in the 80s and 90s, I think was very crystallizing experience for him in terms of what is the Catholic Church's role really and and how are they actually helping people who need the most help. And so for him, it was very clear that the sexual values being promoted on a regular basis coming out of the Catholic Church uh, was was harmful, traumatic to to a, a, a huge population that needed the most help. And so he is someone who is really trying to incorporate the erotic, incorporate pleasure and sexuality into uh, a spiritual teaching guidance path that at its best, sexuality is an intimate, vulnerable connection that is pleasurable. I mean, pleasure doesn't even begin to to, to describe it. It is such an intimate beautiful, like, you know, world affirming, life affirming uh, experience. And, and, and how is that different than, than what, what most religions claim to be uh, a spiritual path? And, and, and the fact that Catholic, the Catholic church often tries to cleave sexuality from what is godly uh, uh, is a huge disservice. So I think he's just trying to get people to think about that there is sexuality inherent in every human interaction that, that you cannot divorce yourself from your sexuality. And if you try to, um, that's where the problems start. And, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I wish he was my priest growing up because I think mm-hmm. I would not have, it would have been, I, I probably wouldn't have as much, I definitely wouldn't have as much shame. I would probably would have come out earlier. I probably, it, it was just, a, you know, that interview to me is kind of a, a moment in making the film that I think of my life before and after because um, I, I, I've so strongly 
in kind of a equal and opposite reaction. I have numbed and, and cauterized this parts of myself uh, that had anything to do with spirituality because I was so angry at the church and, and realizing after that interview, how much of myself I, I don't see, I don't know, I don't celebrate because of that anger towards uh, the Catholic church. So yeah, I, I think the more we can think about sex sexuality as as a conduit, as as it's not like a tangential to or separate from, but but the key component of a true spiritually fulfilling life, I think the the happier we'll all be, and I think that's a big problem that that, that across the world. So so what's where's this led for you? I mean, what's next? Yeah, well, well, hopefully, uh, as we come off the film festival circuit, uh, it will be available, you know, um, to purchase, to, and and hopefully we'll get it onto some cable channels, or, or we'll see. It's 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 a tough tough market, and it's tough to, to get out there. Uh, but yeah, I th- I think ideally we'll we'll see what happens with COVID, but we're we're planning, uh, you know, some college tours, university tours, getting into libraries, that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll see what's next in terms of, I mean, the the. We this is only an eighty minute film, and over half the people we interviewed didn't make it into the film simply because sex is such a huge topic. And at the beginning, we didn't really know what the narrative was. So, you know, we we talked to trans healthcare providers; they didn't make it in. We talked to you know queer youth um, act- activists; they didn't make it in. So, there's a lot of material. We, we joked that queer kink might be the sequel because we just couldn't get into those issues because. You, know, you can't do that justice in three minutes and get people to really understand um, what does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be kinky? What does it mean to be trans? What is gender? But yeah, I, I think um, day by, you know, kind of at this point in, in the process, uh, it is kind of breath by breath, kind of getting put in one foot in the next in the front of the other. But I think we would love to, uh, by we, I mean, kind of the creative team uh, that made the film, we would love to continue uh, maybe it's sex, maybe it's not, maybe it's gender, maybe it's politics, religion, spirituality, but we would like to help people really understand that many of the thoughts, feelings, ideas you have are not your own, that they were put there, not not necessarily intentionally, but they were put there by millennia of different forces, institutions, people, for probably survival reasons, not not, not happiness reasons, not health reasons, uh, and, and that, that how, and just getting people to not change their thoughts, but to think about if those thoughts still help, still service them and, 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 and get people to have difficult conversations that they've never had before, because even though it's terrifying, uh, my life has only been made more fulfilling and loving and wonderful because of all the difficult conversations I've had in my life. And, and the more we can all be having them, I think, um, just the more worthwhile it is to be a human being. So that's kind of kind of where I am right now in in my my movie making. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was um it was inspiring the conversations that you had with your parents on film. They were <laughs> brave, you know, and inspiring, you know, for the the thought that we can have those conversations with our parents, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky yeah. to have my parents. I, it's not every. I mean. A, my parents sure. are, at a cer- are at a certain place and many parents are not. Um, I- I'm-, I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, a lot of the conversations that you want to have or scared to have, take it from someone who's come out of the closet. Um, people are much more open than you might anticipate. I mean, be smart. You know, you know the people in your life. Uh, find the most trustworthy person first. Baby steps. You, you can't 
you know, it's just like real, you know, actual sex. It, you you got to warm up to it. it. It is a process of trust. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, dumping a huge revelation on people is almost its own sense of kind of like, you know, um, uh, trauma in many ways, you know, you know, you have to, you have to be smart about it. And, but, but, but like I said, and before, you know, coming, saying I'm gay to a wide audience now is nothing, but, but 20 years ago, it was, you know, I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to live. So, so I think finding those little baby steps, finding those little ways to have these conversations, you'll be amazed how in one, two, 10 years, how the community around you um, is something that, that you built to be part of your, your, your health and your mental health. And, and it's, it's something that um, I, I feel like we're not really well equipped for. And, and the more we can try to help people do that, the, the, that's kind of how I see my life's mission. Where can people best find information about the film? Yeah, if you follow us on social media, sexplanation, all one word, or sexplanation.com, uh, stay tuned and, 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 and you'll be able to see maybe catch us in person or, or at least figure out how you can stream at home. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. Of course. Thank you for listening. Yeah, totally. I, I listened for 80 minutes. It was great. <laughs> I mean, before this. Yeah. <laughs>